RadioInfluence.com. Why, Crusher, it's good to see you. You're listening to Crush Performance with the Crusher, Jeff Crushell. Get in on the talent grid and text Crush at 10 12 60 with your questions, comments, or smart-ass remarks. And welcome to Crush Performance, everybody. Jeff Crushell here. Hey, we're your weekly source for performance information. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you've had a great, great week. Since we last talked, and if you're new to the show, hey, welcome. Glad you could join us. If you want to get in touch with us, please reach out. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crushperformance is the email. Questions, comments, smart remarks. <laughs> we love them all. We answer every single message we get. And as much as we like to get you guys thinking about things that you might not be thinking about, some of the notes you guys are sending in here are really getting us thinking about some cool things. If you need some help, uh, we will work our, our darnest to, to find the answers and help you out. Or if you have a topic you'd like us to investigate, which has happened here recently, um, let us know. We may dedicate a segment or an entire episode or a series of episodes to your idea. Because, again, as much as we like to get you thinking, you guys are getting us thinking. It's a beautiful, beautiful relationship. Well, today, get ready for a fun and fascinating episode. Sometimes, you know, it's just fun to talk shop. It's Fun to get by the water cooler and and just BS and talk about what's going on. And in our world, it's sometimes just fun to talk sports. And with the startup of professional sports here in North America, there is absolutely no shortage of things to talk about. Now, whether you're a pro athlete looking to get better or whether you're among the next generation of sports great performers – you know, sometimes taking a step back and looking at the world of sports can pri- provide you with great, great context as to what's going on, where you need to go in order to get better. But if you're chasing down the dream, what does it really look like up there? And if you can get yourself into that world, hey man, it's a great, great place to be um, if you can work your way up there and we're all for it. Somebody has to play. That's our motto. Somebody has to play. Why not you? And if we can answer that why not question, we can hone down on the how. And then we can see how far you can really go. And I'm, I'm talking to the 10-year veterans. How, how much better can you really get? I'm also talking to the young athlete who has a dream of you know, chasing down a college scholarship or making the high school varsity team or signing a professional contract or representing their country on the national stage. If you can understand why not at this point, you can start honing in on the how-to. Do we know how far you can go or how good you can really get? No, we don't. We do not know. But there's only one way to find out, and that's to go through the process. And having an understanding of what pro sports looks like is a really, really good place to start sometimes. It can give you an indication of what you need to do and sometimes what you shouldn't do as well as we've seen in certain circumstances from professional sports, right? But in this day and age, wow, is it unique. And we're getting an interesting look at professional sports now. And we're getting an sort of sometimes a behind the curtains look at how things operate because it's such a different landscape. You have the NBA, NHL bubbles kicking off. You have Major League Baseball trying to operate as normal as possible in a not so normal world. 
and it's not working out so well for them. There's a lot to learn there. And then, of course, we're watching the NFL and NCAA sports this fall, football in particular, with great, great interest. Well, today, we're going to get into it with one of our all-time favorites, crush favorite, Alan Mitchell, a.k.a. Low Tide, the host of The Lowdown on the TSN Network in Canada, but also a contributor, hockey writer for The Athletic. We're going to talk sports with Al. He's got great insights. And again, to get that perspective of pro sports is, is incredibly important for us. It certainly is. When we're planning strategies for our elite athletes, but also long-term planning for our up-and-coming greats, um, we keep a very close eye on the professional world. And then things are going to get fascinating. You know, we've been talking about the upcoming series. We're working on um, a series on the brain game. If you listen to the show, you know that we really do believe that the next real area for pushing human performance forward is going to be our understanding and our ability to train the brain. Physically, we're kind of at that biological ceiling we've been talking about. You want to get faster, jump higher. You want to get stronger. Um, you know, we can do that. We know the physical side of human development incredibly well, as a matter of fact. Now, not that, we're not, not that we're not learning still, but we know that side of it really well. Given time, um, commitment, and your effort, we can really get close to your potential. We really, really can. When it comes to skill acquisition and talent development, we really, really have a good understanding of this as well. But the brain... The brain is what I believe is going to push us forward. So we want to get a better understanding. We're going to be joined. We're going to set the stage today. We're going to sort of, you know, give us a little preview, a little primer, so to speak, on our upcoming series later in, in here in August and early September. We're going to be joined by another crush favorite, Tim Nicely, the founder of VFlex Sports. Tim is a thought leader when it comes to brain performance. And trust me, he gets us thinking. He gets me thinking. And not only is he... Uh, on a quest to better understand how the brain works for a good reason. We're going to talk about his story and why he got into this area of study and, and this area of development. Um, Tim's not just trying to get a better understanding. He's out there trying to develop tools that we can use to improve brain performance. And he has this thing, feed forward. Everybody's operating right now on a feedback system. Hey, how did it feel? How did that go? Let's look back to learn. And you do, trust me, it's important. You need to look back to learn. We wouldn't move forward or it would be very, very slow, slow quest forward if we didn't look back and learn. And that's for each and every one of us, especially our athletes. But um, when it comes to actually tapping into brain performance, we can't work in the past. You can't work in the past and really tap into performance. We need to almost be working in the future. It might sound crazy, but that's what we're going to get into. We're going to talk about feeding forward, setting up the environment so the brain can function at an optimum level. Fascinating stuff. So um, get set for a fun and fascinating episode today. And let's kick it off right now with our good friend and absolute crush favorite, Alan Mitchell, a.k.a. Low Tide, host of The Lowdown on TSN and sports writer, hockey writer, contributor to The Athletic. Alan Mitchell, thanks for joining us today. It's so great to have you on the show. Well, I appreciate you having me. I, I'm, uh, I'm on holidays this week, and, and I've had like holidays during this uh, 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 COVID-19 are like you know you're living you're like how far can I drive and and where can I go to spend money so uh, it's it's been a little unreal but I'm uh, I, I'm glad that we're getting sports back uh, and that's that's been a positive so yeah, you caught me in a good mood today Jeff so yeah, this should be good great stuff I don't think I've ever seen you in a bad mood I can't imagine we've known each other for quite quite some time now 
Um, actually, I, I actually I might be impressed to see Al Mitchell in a bad mood. Okay, I'm going to ponder that over this upcoming weekend and just see what I come <laughs> up with. I don't know if it's even possible, but really, really good to talk to you, Al. Um, listen, there is a lot of things that I want to run by you. Of course, um, you follow the NHL and the hockey world very, very closely. I want to get to that for sure. But um, you mentioned it right off the start here, uh, the return of sport. And, you know, there's a business side to this, of course. There's things that had to happen in order just to keep the the coffers, you know, full and operating. Um, But there's also a major, major commitment here from a lot of people, from ownership, right down to the field staff, right down to, um, you know, the, the, the people who are in the background of getting these organizations on the field and on television for the fans in every single sport. This is a massive undertaking and a major commitment from a lot of people. It sure is, and I and I think that that you know one of the things we're seeing now it, with the sports with MLB and NHL and NBA and soon NFL, uh, you know, building towards uh, their seasons and then starting their seasons is is the the the, the differences between the sports and and um, I, I guess the, the the impossibility of some things and the necessity of others and and. You know, it looks like Major League Baseball, as of when we're talking now, the Cardinals now have uh, some positive tests. So, uh, you know, you wonder if they're headed towards some kind of a bubble, a la the NBA uh, and Major League, uh, and sorry, the NHL. But it's, it's uh, you know, there's no, there's no book on how to restart a major sport during COVID-19. Uh, and so there have been mistakes along the way, and unfortunately, the the troops on the ground, the players and the, the folks involved have been, uh, you know, in the day-to-day have, have been the ones who have uh, contracted COVID. But it is, uh, like, even if things go successfully, you're talking possibly a couple of months or more uh, in some kind of a bubble or isolated away from your family. And there's real danger there. and There's real sacrifice from these people. Yeah, there certainly is. If you look at how the NHL has handled things, and I know it sounds like, again, this is um, – um, this is sort of conjecture on my part, but it seems like the the NHL and the NBA, and there was a lot of, um, uh, I guess, maybe a consulting between the leagues here as they all tried to get going. And of course, everybody was watching baseball in Taiwan and in Korea with great interest as they started really early. And then, of course, the Bundesliga and soccer in Europe. Uh, everybody's watching that with great, great interest to see how it was all going to go down. And and the fact that they've had some success over there, I think, maybe led us to the point where we're at today. Uh, but a lot of, I think, um, collaboration between the leagues on how to get this done. The NHL and the NBA have done a stellar job so far. I just wanted to get your impressions of what you thought about the uh, NHL uh, hub cities and bringing them north of the border. Well, I think it was the right call. The, the the one thing the NHL, I think the NHL and the NBA have done well. The one thing the NHL did better than anyone was they, they refused to commit to location until they absolutely had to in order to, to make things happen in time, all the structural things and uh, the minutia of getting uh, a hub city ready. And they chose Canada because it was safer. You know, the the COVID numbers are, are better. I think the governments have responded better. I don't think it's politically, uh, you know, incorrect to say that, that the Canadian government and the, the provincial governments have been uh, m- more uh, aggressive in, in tamping down the curve than in uh, America. And and so I think those were the right choices. I will say that they seems to, like they chose early, which I think was a misstep uh, in Florida. But, but having said that, 
they've been, I will say, strict to the point of being almost vicious in their in their due diligence of making sure that bubble is is not exposed. And and you know that's a positive. I, I'll I'll say it's it's tough because it's it you know at some level you know a guy wants to go out and have a hamburger that just seems to be something you can do. But when you're in a pandemic and you're in a bubble, you can't do it. I'd say I think the NHL has done the best so far because of the their lateness of of choosing their their destination. But I'll I'll give the NBA some credit too because they it's man it's tough to do and they seem to be uh, you know heading in a very good direction. Put it that way. Yeah, for sure. We're talking with Alan Mitchell. He is a uh, uh, um, contributor to the Athletic, looking at hockey. Also, the host of the Lowdown on the TSN Network in Canada. Al, listen. Um, you know, when we look at the NHL bubble, it's been real cool. And I wasn't sure what it was going to look like, uh, but I like how they've in Edmonton and Toronto, how they've done up the stadiums, you know, absence of absent of fans uh, to make it look like a major event. I like the look of it, Alan. It, 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 you know, we'd like to see fans there, of course. But um, what are your first impressions of the environment they have the players in right now? It's, I think it's fascinating. Number one, and I, I think it's it's uh, I think fans are interested in what it's like, and there's going to be reporting out of there, uh, obviously about lifestyles and you know what's going on. But I also think that there's a there's um there's a sense of that this is an unusual and a very special thing. I think it's a one off. I don't think we'll ever uh, have this experience again. But the NHL and and I'll I'll give networks credit here because I think they're part of it. What they appear to have tried to do is take an, a negative, no fans, and and try to turn it into a positive. Not everything's going to work. That high camera makes me a little bit ill, although I'll probably get used to it. But it, I've, I've read where people really like that high camera. And the, the visuals where instead of fans, you'll see the logos of the team, and then they'll switch over to the next game. I think that's pretty cool. And the game itself is still the game. It's, you know, the, I watched the, uh, the Oilers play Calgary the other night and, and, you know, it didn't seem like they were impacted at all. They didn't, they don't like each other, obviously. And it came out, and it was a hell of a hockey game. And the bottom line is as long as the hockey is the hockey, people will watch. But I, I think the things around it are compelling. That, that, that camera that from high atop is compelling. How the broadcasters are, are, you know, kind of, having to adjust because they're not necessarily in the building. And even if they are, there's no crowd, how networks are, you know, making sure that the, the words we know hockey players use don't get to air. <laughs> and, and all of those things are like, they're genuinely interesting to people. And I think that's, I think the NHL has a chance here in all sports, I think to, to sort of, uh, allow people to look behind the curtain a little bit yeah. at how in this, this is being done because they're genuinely curious about it because I think we all understand this is a massive undertaking. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Alan. I think you're right. We're getting a real different look at the sports, the athletes and everything that goes on behind the scenes. When we look at major league baseball, you know, when they first started, one of the things that really got me uh, was the cutouts of the fans. And you know, there are, some of them are themed, but the Dodgers one was yeah. really cool because um, I think it was uh, to start with, they had the uh, families of the players, you know, all cu cardboard cutouts. And then they had the season ticket holders. And then in another, um, in another, um, uh, stadium. It was it was super fans from around the league. So it was lots of cool stuff. And then it's in the NBA, you see them almost doing Zoom meetings with their screens during the game. So a lot of cool opportunities here for fans to get involved and really really connect with their sports. Yeah, and I think it's important. I, you know, I, I know that that the the teams are are, are uh, reaching out in any way they can. 
and there's just there's just really unique stuff. Uh, uh, Ethan Bear with his jersey the other night. He he uh, his name wasn't you know Bear. They anglicized it was you know in, in in you know his native tongue, and and people were like they they're embracing that because I think that along with all of the things that are happening with COVID, there's also a, a cultural revolution going on where where things are opening up in a in a really good way. And for the NHL and for the Edmonton Oilers to to you know get ahead of that, I've watched sports for years, and and I'll give you another example of what's happening here in this new era. And maybe it is because of COVID. Maybe I'm not you know I'm underrating it. But you know the 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 NHL is a very conservative uh, league, and so you know I remember when when you know they would they expanded in '74. And they had Washington and Kansas City as the expansion teams, and and the Capitals and the Scouts. Well, those are not creative names; they just aren't. But the Seattle team gets a franchise, and they go with. I never thought they'd go with Kraken. It's too wild, right? Like it doesn't. It doesn't even like it. It's just too out there, right? The NHL is. They don't do that. It's it's a it's a very conservative league and and the owners are are you know a hundred years old and and yet this happened and so i i think that that the nhl has done a really good job even early nba has always done a good job by the way the nba is way ahead of everybody else in this socially i in terms of of being open to fresh ideas and and implementing i think i think the nhl has been spectacular here i'm i'm wildly impressed with what they've done yeah, me too. We're talking with Al Mitchell, host of The Lowdown on TSN Network. Al, I, I, I agree with you here. And, and when we look at baseball, I'm just trying to figure out, I think they had an opportunity to go into some form of a bubble format, whether it was, you know, five or six teams at a location for, you know, two to three weeks and then switch it up. Um, that was on the table, I think, at one point. The players opted out of this. The players didn't want to isolate. So when we look at Major League Baseball, because that's going to be a major conversation here for a, a good long while, I think, especially when we, you know, talk about what's happening with the Cardinals, potentially, fingers crossed, and what's happening with the Marlins. A uh, team leaves their hotel, gets on the team bus. They go to the airport, to the private, um, you know, terminal where they don't even have to go inside. They get off their bus and they go into the team charter plane. They fly to the next city, get off the plane on the tarmac into the bus, go to the hotel. And then from the hotel to the bus to the, there's lots of points that, you know, things could go wrong here, but if done well, it's kind of a traveling bubble. It hasn't worked that well though, because guys have stepped outside of the lines and it's been a, it's been a real catastrophe for baseball to this point. Well, I think, I think the, the, I think flying is tough. I just do, you know, and, and, you know, we we don't know how the NHL and NBA are going to turn out, so we you know we should preface this by as of now. True. But 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 I think Major League Baseball just they 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 made too many compromises on both sides to accommodate based on on wanting to get as close as they could to what normal would be, and so I don't think they recognize the dangers of the pandemic. But one of the reasons why it happens is, and I I've said this for years because I think one of the problems of Major League baseball has is that they're the commissioner and it's not the commissioner's fault because he's toothless it's it's there's not enough the commissioner needs to be as the, as in the nba and the nhl have enough power to tell the owners you know what, what what they should do and have the owners listen to them because you know in baseball you know and, and this goes back to kennesaw mountain landis 
the, the only time owners and, and players really look to somebody with a strong sense of authority uh, is when they're really in peril. And, and maybe Major League Baseball, I don't think they are, but maybe this will be a turning point. But, but I don't think either side had anybody telling them what to do, whereas in the NHL, I think Gary probably bullied a little bit and got a compromise that he thought could work, and it'll work best for the league. And I think the same thing happened in the NBA. Yeah, it's a big, big machine, isn't it, Al? And then, you know, let's take uh, a look at the Blue Jays, for example, who are basically Major League Baseball hobos, the homeless of Major League Baseball, the not allowed to come into Canada for very good reason, of course, and I think we're seeing that now. And, you know, Canada made a uh, an executive decision there. There is somebody making a decision because it's not that we don't want baseball in Canada. It's just logistically, the way MLB was going to operate, it wasn't possible to keep everybody safe. So the Blue Jays. Um, are uh, sent down south of the border, potentially looking at Dunedin, their spring training home, as a possible uh, location to play home games. But with the spike in COVID cases in Florida, not a good idea. So they tried to pair up with Pittsburgh, didn't work. They had their home opener in Washington, uh, which was bizarre. They're trying to hang their hat at the AAA Stadium in Buffalo. I uh, just need some upgrades. They're working on that. Hopefully, they get a home. But how difficult is this going to be on top of all the other difficulties for the Blue Jays? Well, I remember, I'll compare it to when, and you'll remember this, when the Expos were were uh, undermined in Montreal, basically, you know, um, orphans for, you know, whatever half a season. I can't recall. They played in Cuba. They played, you know, they were living out of suitcases. And and I remember the players time afterwards, they were saying about what not only was it difficult, you know, you gotta play a ball game. It's not like this is this isn't, you know, this isn't playing snap at home with your kids. This is a difficult to do. And I'm really not sure what, you know, your day to day is. Like, you know, and, and you know, it, it it wears on on players. And and for the Blue Jays, now look, there's some positives here. They may end up because they're you know it's a young group and they may end up bonding in a way that, that three, four years from now really benefits. But on the face of it, it it is it has to be very different. Like I, I watched the Washington series and it was funny because, you know, give the, the Nationals credit. They're, they're playing a game where the, the, the cheers are louder for the Jays than they are for the Nationals, even though it's in their own home park. But it's, it's not the same. And, it, 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 you know, they, they, they went into uh, Washington, uh, and they, they lost one of three, I believe. Uh, they won one of three. Then they won the first two, but then they lose the, the last two of that series. And, and look, I think they're probably a 500 team, maybe a little under, maybe a little older or over. But, but uh, uh, the difficulty that's added because there's uncertainty has to wear on them. And, and that will impact as the season goes on. It's early days now, but, you know, I mean, if you're, if you're a Sunday and you're worried about doing your laundry and you're a major league baseball player, then, then you've got other concerns that you normally wouldn't have. Yeah. We're talking with Al Mitchell contributor to the athletic and host of the lowdown on TSN network out of Edmonton. Al, I agree with you. And you said something I think really special there and something that I'm watching for personally um, is this young group coming together in adversity just to get it done. I mean, there's nothing to lose. Everybody's in tough times. 
I think you're onto something there. And I'm watching with great interest to see how these guys persevere through these hard times because it's not difficult or it is, is, I should say, it's very, very difficult not to have a home field, you know, a place to hang your hat regularly, you know, where everybody is, you know, you have your, you have your routine when you're at home. And, you know, when we look back to 2019, major league teams, the winning percentage in major league teams was 0.529. So 52.9% of the time, um, home team, uh, one in their in their stadium. If you go back the last five years in the NBA, it's fifty eight point three. The NFL fifty six point one. MLB fifty three point four as home field advantage. So there is something to be said for that. I am wondering though if what you said is going to trump those numbers here. And I, I would be really fired up to see that. Well, and that's you know that's the great thing about youth that you you know when you've got a veteran team. You, you sort of know what you're going to get, and you're hoping nobody gets hurt. This young team, you know, I, I was watching the other day, um, uh, and he ended up uh, getting uh, rocked a little bit afterwards. But this Nate Pearson kid, he comes out, and he throws two darts at, I, I don't know if it was 100, but it was damn close if it wasn't. And then, he, you know, he throws a couple of pitches wide, and then he, he, he throws a hook. And, and if, you, if you take the two fastballs at the beginning of the at-bat, and then the off-speed pitch at the end. Well, that's basically it. You 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 can live twenty years in Major League Baseball, making a very good living, and and maybe get yourself you know some Hall of Fame consideration if you can do those things in any at bat. And and so if you're a Jays fan, if this guy can settle in by his third or fourth start, he might be just chewing up Major League batters. That's how good he is. And and there's excitement everywhere. The, the pitching staff looks much better. You know, I've been watching the, the middle relief here. Uh, I hatch. I, I'm, I'm not, you know, familiar with all of these names, but, you know, uh, the Jays have always been a team that can find pitching. And, and I think they found some here. And this Pearson kid is, uh, if you're a Jays fan, my goodness, is he going to be something else? Yeah, they've got a couple other young kids. Actually, one of the young players they have in the coming up, and he's just sort of on the cusp. I think he had some arm issues last year, but Eric Perdino, he's a young kid from Brazil, came from one of our MLB academies in Brazil, but he's a fireballer too, but just beautiful, really professional, just a love of the game, this kid. He throws you now 96, 97 miles an hour, which leads me to this. So they're talking about, they're throwing out these numbers when they talk about Nate Pearson, potentially the hardest uh, pitcher in the history of Major League Baseball, and they're throwing out numbers like 110 miles an hour. Chapman, of course, throws the uh, holds the record for the hardest recorded pitch at 105.6. They're talking about 110, and and I was telling talking to the guys yesterday about this, and I'm saying, you know, this reminds me of a documentary I saw on the atomic bomb era, and I remember one of the scientists. I got, I'm going to go back and try to find this, but I remember one of the scientists saying, you know. Um, when we look back on this era, everybody was excited at the potential of atomic energy. You know, it got, of course, moved into a military style as a weapon, but um, which was unfortunate, you know, when when you're talking to the scientists that came up with this. And he goes, you know, everybody was sitting there wondering and looking if we could, and nobody asked if we should. And, and you know, when I look at Nate Pearson and, you know, the, the number of injuries related to velocity, I, is anybody saying, should we? Well, and, and, you know, Major League Baseball is so different now than it was when I was younger. You know, uh, and part of it is the rules. The, the DH rule, for instance, is, you know, there's no there's no soft spot in a lineup. You know, people always talk about, well, the pitcher used to bat. Well, the pitcher, you know, 
the pitcher used to bat, but the shortstop used to hit 180. So there was a couple of spots in the lineup where where a good starter could say, okay, you know, I've got the seven, eight, nine hitters in the third year or the fourth. I, I think I can, you know, I don't have to throw my hardest pitch. So in the middle of a game, he could have an easy inning. Well, there's no easy inning now. There, there's just none. The DH has taken all of that out. And then, you know, you, you've got Giants playing shortstop and third base and, and center field, <laughs> spots that ordinarily were, you know, you know, they were all like, remember when, when center field was a, a smaller, really, really fast guy? Well, look at the center fielders now. My God, these guys are like, they're, they're, they're baseball linebackers now. And, and so, I mean, everybody has power. There's not one guy that doesn't have power. And, and you know, the speed of the pitches, I remember uh, reading about Ross Grimsley. He had won 20 games. He had traded to Montreal. He was very effective uh, with, with the Expos. And, and then his career sort of ended. And I remember reading about it. And, and uh, his a former pitching coach said, well, we were always worried because his fastball was 88 and his off-speed stuff was about 80. And we kind of knew when his fastball got to 84, the, the hitter was going to have – there would be no difference between his fastball and his off-speed stuff. And, and that's what happened. But we were talking about, like, late 80s. And, and now we're talking about guys who can, like, throw to the point where they can, as you say, velocity, but is their arm staying intact? And, right. and th- that's, that's where we are. We're sort of, you know, I, I think we, were, we lived through an era where, where pitchers could pitch 300 innings, partly because there were soft spots in the lineup every game because of the shortstop was hitting 180 and the pitcher had to hit. And, and now we're in an era where everybody's great and you have to throw like insane velocity to make a, a, a hit or miss the ball, but, but you, nobody can stay healthy doing it that way. I, I don't know whether we, you know, you could, you could do things to help a, a pitcher. You could, aside from making him throw 110, you could, you know, move the mound again. Remember when they did that in 1968 yeah. and they made things a little, little better for the hitter, you know, baseball now is, is, uh, you know, we, you and I have talked about this before about how much money baseball loses every year due to injury. Well, you know, as, the, as we get farther along in, in these, uh, uh, you know, careers here of these great young players who are throwing uh, the ball at, at historic rates, if, if they all break down, if nobody can be Nolan Ryan, then what's the use? You, you might want to spend a little money figuring out what, what, you know, what's the outer marker that you can have a pitcher throw and have that pitcher still be durable. You know, I, I mean, I don't even know if that's possible, but it might be a goal. Yeah, I agree, Alan. I think you're you're onto something there. It's a big opportunity for an organization that gets this and understands it and has the wherewithal to follow through with actually maybe looking at lower velocities and, and really developing pitching skills uh, to keep your staff healthy. I think there is a big opportunity that's just not being taken advantage of in baseball, Al. So. Oh boy, interesting times, interesting times. Well, as we head into uh, the long weekend north of the border in Canada, Al, I really appreciate your your time today. Um, and as sport kicks off, is there anything in particular here you're watching over the next couple of weeks, whether we're talking the NBA or the NHL, of course, starting on Saturday, or whether it's Major League Baseball, anything you're keeping your eye on now? Well, I, I want, I, you know, I've seen enough hockey to, to believe that 
nothing's really changed. They're still hammering each other, uh, and the, the physical contact hasn't gone away. Uh, in 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 uh, baseball, there's not as much, uh, uh, you know, distancing is pretty easy in baseball, or at least mostly easy in baseball. When when uh, in the NBA and with the NFL. The, the the there's a lot of contact and there's a lot of close contact and there's not a like there's not helmets or any of those things so I'll be interested in see, like I'll be interested in seeing if the players themselves are less likely to to engage physically uh, I, I don't I think they'll just go play honestly I do I think they'll go play and and you know let the chips fall where they may but I wanted to see for hockey if there was any hesitation there is none. These are well-tuned athletes, and they play the game flat out, and they expect the same of their opponent. But, you know, I will tell you that, that all of the sports we've mentioned today are, are just delightful to watch. I was watching a little NBA last night, and, and uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's like it washes over you why we spend so much time watching these great, great athletes, and that's what they are. They're just spectacular athletes and having been robbed of sports I, I i think that we'll all value it even more if that's you know uh, possible when it does return and return successfully and then the other thing that i hope for is no no like no serious injury and god forbid no fatalities uh, these these people are, are paying with risk to themselves uh, to their families, and and for that, I hope that they're rewarded with good health through this entire time, and then long into their into the rest of their lives. Yeah, well said, out, well said for sure. Well, you've got me thinking about a few things to watch here as well, and of course, we're going to keep our eye this fall on the NFL and NCAA sports as that comes around. But we'll talk about that another day. Al, thank you so much for your time today. Have a great, great long weekend, and uh, onwards, my good friend. We've got some sports to watch. I cannot wait, Jeff. Thanks for having me. And there you go, everybody. Alan Mitchell, a.k.a. Low Tide from the Lowdown on TSN, contributor and sports writer for The Athletic. There you go. It's just sometimes fun to talk sports. But it also can give you great perspective as to what's going on in professional sports, whether you're a fan, whether you're a pro athlete looking to get better, or whether you're dreaming of one day playing at that level. It's sometimes... And it is actually really important to understand what's going on up there. And of course, it's just fun. It's fun to talk. Whether you're a big fan of sports or not, sometimes it's really fun just to get away and talk sports. Because at the end of the day, as serious as it is for everybody that's in there, and for me included, it's a great escape. It's a great escape from the realities and sometimes the harsh realities of the world we live in. And that's why, you know, I'm so glad that pro sports is back in this COVID environment. I'm glad for the young athletes who can't play right now and aren't playing right now. They can watch their their heroes and the pros play and, you know, dream of being there one day. I'm also really, really happy just for society in general. But it's giving us something to rally around, something to cheer about, to argue about to brag about all the good stuff that goes along with sports for sure. So I want to thank Al for that great conversation. Listen, we're taking a turn. Things are about to get fascinating from fun to fascinating and fascinating can be fun as well. We're going to do a, a quick little preview of our upcoming series on the brain game. We're going to talk with Tim Nicely, founder of VFlex Sports right after this. We're going to get into 
how the brain really works. We're going to talk about Tim's story and how he got into it. Tim is one of those thought leaders, and he's one of those guys that's getting us thinking about things that we probably wouldn't think about normally. That's why we're going to get together with Tim right after this to set the stage for the fascinating conversation of how the brain works and why we believe the future of human performance lies in each and every one of us. So stick around as we set the stage for our upcoming series on the brain game right after this on Crush Performance. Hey everybody, we know how much you enjoy listening to stuff and now technology is making it even more enjoyable with wireless earbuds. Everybody could use a pair of wireless earbuds for your music, your audiobooks, your podcasts, whatever you're listening to. But before you go dropping hundreds of dollars on a pair, you need to check out the wireless earbuds from Raycon. Raycon earbuds started about half the price of any other premium wireless earbud on the market and they sound just as amazing as the other top brands you know. And their newest model, the Everyday E25 earbuds, are the best ones yet. With six hours of playtime, they have seamless Bluetooth pairing, more bass, and a more compact design that gives you a nice, noise-isolating fit. There's a real cool story behind this company. They just wanted to shake up the wireless audio industry. It was co-founded by Ray J. And as much as we love it, celebrities like Snoop Dogg, Cardi B, and others are obsessed with their Raycons. And we want you to see what it's all about. Now's the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash crush. That's buyraycon, B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N.com slash crush with a K for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Go to buyraycon.com slash crush. Pick your earbud. The everyday, the performer, the do not disturb. It's all about you. Raycon earbuds look better, sound better, and they're affordable. Change your game and go make some noise. There's more Crush Performance coming right up. Find out what it takes to be a top performer. Get the Crush blog, podcast, and newsletter at crushperformance.com. Now, back to the show. And welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody. I am Jeff Grishel, and we're your weekly source for performance information. Listen, if you want to get to us, reach out. Crushperformance.com is the website. Subscribe to the podcast, get our newsletter, and check out our Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, channels follow me on twitter at jeff crush search out crush performance and we'll hook you up you'll find it all there and if you have any questions comments or smart remarks of course we answer every message we get so um let us help you out if we don't have the answer we'll find it that much i guarantee all right speaking of answers we want answers damn it (laughs) to one of the most convoluted curious and maybe challenging tasks that we're up against right now and that is tapping into and training and expanding our knowledge of the human brain in terms of human performance. Uh, We've come a long way in the last little while in terms of understanding how the brain is operating, and technology today is now allowing us to do even more. But we're still at the very, very forefront of our understanding of how to properly train the brain, or at least get it to a point where we're maximizing its performance for the best outcomes possible and to kick off our upcoming series sort of as a primer of our upcoming series on the brain and brain performance which will be happening later in august and early september i wanted to get everybody thinking about it because that's what the show is all about with one of our good friends tim nicely from vflex sports tim so great to have you on the show once again here thanks for joining us today 
Hey, thanks for having me, Jeff. Man, I'm looking forward to today. Yeah, I always look forward to our conversations. I know you and I have been together a couple times this summer in this COVID environment. Uh, we've been uh, out on the old Zoom calls and video chat rooms here talking a couple times this summer, and it never ceases to amaze me. I always lose a little sleep after spending some time with you, Tim, and uh, it's a good loss of sleep because you get me thinking about things that that we wouldn't normally thinking about. Well, listen, we are kicking off a series here coming up in mid-August, looking at the brain, how it operates, how important it is. And in my opinion, humbly, this is just my sort of opinion, the next great bastion for pushing human performance forward is going to be our assault on the brain. You know, we kind of talk about how we're at a biological ceiling right now. We have a really good idea of how to make our athletes stronger and faster and more powerful. That stuff is almost easy given time and effort. Uh, we also have a really good understanding of uh, skill acquisition and talent development. And, you know, when we look at probably for me anyway, I'd like to get your opinion on this, but for me anyway, when I look at that, where's the greatest opportunity moving forward for human performance? It, it, it for me lies in technology, technology on a couple levels, technology that's allowing us to, uh, improve our performance in terms of equipment, great equipment technology and, and advances that are out there. But more importantly, the mind and the technology that's allowing us to maybe better understand the mind right now. And and that's sort of why I'm so glad to have you on today, Tim. Well, I'm looking forward to it, man. It's going to be a good day here. Absolutely. So, you know, for our audience, you've been on the show before and uh, some of our audience has, has seen you and I present here as well. But uh, for those who don't know your background, it's actually a very interesting story that led you into this world of cognition and neuroscience, uh, because that's not where you came from. But the story of you arriving here is fascinating. Maybe just quickly, Tim, if you're OK with it, uh, maybe share for our listeners how you wound up so deeply involved in this world of neuroscience and brain function. OK, uh, in 1999. Uh, I was doing part-time teaching as a high school uh, sociology, psychology teacher. So I knew a little bit about the mind and very little about the brain. But, uh, you know, I taught for quite a few years there. But I was also uh, doing uh, construction work, working, uh, building the Tennessee Smokies Baseball Stadium. I had a huge contract there to set the trusses and put the roof on the stadium there. And in 99, my cousin was on that job with me and she fell 21 feet head first onto the concourse there and had a massive brain injury. And I thought she was going to die in my arms. Uh, she took a breath every 54 seconds and, uh, blood was coming out both of her ears and I put a pencil in her mouth to keep her airway open. And every time she'd take a shallow breath, I'd look at my watch just to see if that was the last one. And, uh, Man, it really shook it shook me up. It took a long time for me to to get myself together uh, as a person. But uh, it took Tammy seven years to come out of the comatose states that she was in, uh, and uh, nine days without opening her eyes, 145 on life support, and then uh, that seven years, you know, back into cognition because for seven years she wasn't cognitive. I mean, she was in this world of being hardwired to her environment. You know, she just simply responded to the stimuli that was before her. And that's what sparked my greatest uh, curiosity 
about the brain because I wanted to help Tammy come out of her comatose states. And uh, I didn't know enough to help her. So I began to study the brain. And for 20 years now, that's basically all I've studied is neurology. I mean, I haven't, I really didn't even scratch the surface on psychology again, because uh, until the brain healed itself, there was no conscious state. There was just simply signals going, you know, throughout the brain and all that. So I just thought, well, you know, is there anything that I can do, you know, that will, will benefit her? And through the process of being a baseball coach and learning, you know, uh, from experience that it is so difficult to train a hitter to, to swing at strikes. Uh, you know, I just say I had an epiphany, you know, from studying all of this brain information and all these researches for years. And, uh, I, I ended up, uh, filing for, uh, two patents in baseball and softball and, uh, file for a patent in golf or four patents in golf, one in football, one in soccer, one in basketball. And I hold all those patents now, but they're all brain related to performance. You know, how do you make the brain uh, a better processor of information, whether it's uh, visual information or tactile information, locomotion information, you know, uh, once a neurotransmitter is released in the brain, it's not just uh, super specific. It it can actually be used in a lot of different ways, depending on how it's uptake uh, into the system. So the trick for me was just simply being being cognizant of what my surroundings were, you know, and the information that I had taken in uh making me no expert at all, you know, as far as, uh, there are no basic experts in my field as far as I, I can read or understand, you know, I know there's neurological experts, et cetera, et cetera. But when you talk about creating, uh, a neurological strike zone inside the brain, you know, or creating this enhanced space inside the brain, it all comes back to that hardwired system that I was observing for Tammy when she had fallen, which was there was something in there that was doing its job with no consciousness at all. And I wanted to just tap into that resource. And I think that's where human performance is going to go, you know, is out of the conscious state into a a truly instinctive state so that we can get these neurotransmitters firing you know, in these uh, more efficient ways, because we've dumbed down the practices, we've done all this stuff through time, and uh, the neurotransmitters that need to be released during these training sets aren't being released during during training. They're basically only released during the games because there's this heightened awareness, this heightened uh, excitation of the game situation. So it's really hard to duplicate. Uh, in a practice setting. So hopefully that'll give you some idea of what, where I've come from. Yeah. Sure does, Tim. Many, many layers to Tim nicely. And what a story, you know, coming from a sociology and psychology background really must've been really, really helpful as this, as this story with Tammy, your cousin, Tammy unfolded. Um, let me ask you, how, how did, how did Tammy's story unfold, Tim? Uh, 
Well, I mean, she's in a wheelchair right now, uh, and she uh, she lost her sight in one eye. She lost her sense of taste. She lost her sense of smell, and uh, she's never, you know, now that she's back to a conscious person, she still has her bubbly personality. Mm-hmm. She has some memory issues, but I think we all do a little bit. But, uh, you know, her experience with these sensory uh, the incoming sensory information, just like taste, you know, she can't experience uh, a good meal. She can't experience uh, a good smell, you know, a fragrance that's, that's beautiful like a rose. She can't experience that. And in the one eye that she went blind in, uh, she didn't have an eye injury. She had a brain injury. Mm. So therefore, you know, I thought, hey, we don't see with our eyes. We see with our brain. And, uh, you know, Tammy, she's got good spirits and she's lived, uh, 20 years now. Her life expectancy was, uh, eight years with the fall that she had. And, uh, thanks to the grace of God, she's lived 20 years with us now. And, uh, we're excited to have her. You know, she's been an inspiration to me and, uh, I continue to run ideas past her, you know, and she says, well, I, you know, I don't remember any of this stuff. I said, that's okay. You know, I do. I've, I've kept notes the whole time. So, it's, but she's doing okay. Great. No, that's great stuff, Tim. And and to connect, to have those worlds connect and, and turn into the V-Flex sports. And now, if you look at all the people you're influencing and ultimately Tammy's influencing as well, and not just that, but the direction of research, which is fascinating to me. So um, for me personally, I've always been fascinated in the brain. In university, I took every psych, I was in the exercise, phys, kinesiology department, but I took every single psychology course I could take that they would let me take without actually having to enter the the faculty and take all those first year shenanigans again and take a bunch of courses. But I took every course possible, but I also took neurophysiology as well. The brain has always fascinated me. And, you know, getting to work at the highest level of sport uh, was a real treat for me personally. But what's really driven me to the other side now is my mother had early onset Alzheimer's and dementia. And to see her slip away, Tim, um, I can almost maybe have some similar um, emotional trips that, that you had with your cousin Tammy. But to see her slip away, her body functioning fine, every all the tools were sharp and working but the brain was failing and, and just to, to be out, a total, totally out of control of that is one of the reasons that's driven my interest into the brain even further. And, and for so many other people out there, it's huge as well. So who knows where we're going to go, but I still do believe in terms of human performance and just human health in general, we have so much more to learn about the brain and how this thing really works. It might be one of the most complex organisms in our known universe for crying out loud. If you think of this, this thing that's, you know, that everybody has one. I mean, it's fascinating if you think about it. No doubt. It's the most complicated, complex thing in the known universe. I mean, there's nothing out there even remotely close that we've examined anywhere. That's re- that's even close to it. And, uh, you know, we're many years away from having uh, a basic understanding of how it truly works, especially in the visual world. But, you know, I do feel for you, you know, uh, as it relates to your mother, you know, and that's the secondary goal of VFLEX here is to develop uh, not performance 
human performance, but human health aids, you know, and that may be with this COVID thing that's come along, you know, in the sports world, you know, just uh, having so many issues right now. Uh, we're in the middle of developing just health, health exercises for uh, special needs kids in school, uh, elderly, uh, you name it, because, you know, to be honest with you, I mean, we've tried for years and being in the psychology and having the psychology background, I've looked at all of the, the, the ways that we've tried to exercise the mind or some people really can't separate the mind from the brain. They think the mind is the brain, but it's not. The brain is an organ and that's what I'm dead set on exercising. It's not the mind. All of the research that we've seen on mind exercise and cognitive skill games and crossword puzzles and all of these other games, you know, they've really shown that you can only get good at the game you're playing, but they don't have an overall effect on the health of your brain. If they did, we wouldn't have the dementia and uh, the Alzheimer's, a lot of the things that are neurotransmitter related, simply because when we get older, these neurotransmitters uh, either the transmitter or the receiver one goes down and it causes some problems. And uh, what we're doing, you know, with our research is we're trying to, to excite the brain. We're not trying to excite the mind. We're putting things in front of a player or a person, a special needs kid or somebody that's just the average Joe. And when they look at our devices, Say they were in a semi-comatose state and they were looking at one of our devices, their brain would be firing specific sequences of spatial information, trying to help them understand electrically that something is occurring, that the brain has to pay attention as long as their eyes are open. You know, we believe we can make the brain come to an attentive state. And that's, uh, I mean, it's a noble it's a noble charge to try and do that, man. But the the thing that gives us the greatest hope is is the way that our data appears when we record data from our hitters. Uh, you know, the data goes straight up. I mean, it's not a normal learning curve. They're not learning uh, per se in a skill acquisition way or whatever you want to do it. It's simply a neurotransmitter spike. You know, the, the performance goes straight up, but it's not because they learned anything. It's simply because their brain was in an excited state while they were performing the, the function. And, uh, man, I'm, I can't tell you how excited I am. Uh, it's going to take me some time to, to put all these exercises together for all these different skills and, and different kinds of people. But, man... As long as I've got life in my body, that's what I want to do, Jeff. Yep. No, it is a worthy cause. No question about it. We're talking with Tim Nicely from VFlex Sports. You can check their great stuff out at VFlexSports.com. We'll talk more about that later, Tim. But you have made an incredibly important distinction. You mentioned it twice already. 
um, here in this conversation. It's one that I think maybe we should dive into a little bit further just for our audience as we sort of set the stage for uh, the Crush Performance series, upcoming series on the brain and brain performance. Um, Tim, you're one of the driving forces that has gotten me thinking a little bit differently about the brain. So I'll thank you for that right now uh, because it's it's sort of been – it's just where my my entire career has led. You know, I was start, started out as an athlete and, and started out in in human physiology, then performance, then getting into professional sports, helping athletes physically prepare uh, to perform better and reduce risk of injury. That's been fun. But uh, then it came nutrition and psychology was in there, of course, as well. But everything, you know how they say all roads lead to Rome, <laughs> all roads lead yeah. to the brain in this business, man. And that's where that is where my I'm laser targeted right now. And I think probably for the duration of my time here on this planet as well. So I'm really excited to talk about this. But you have made a very, very important distinction here between the mind and the brain. Is there a simple way to to, to define those two uh, or, or, or to explain the difference between the mind and the brain to our listeners, Tim? Well, just the simple fact that, that one is, is a physical organ that we can quantify, we can measure it, we can uh, measure the size of it, we can measure the electrical voltage that it's putting out, we can study its brain waves now, alpha, alpha waves, beta waves, you know, uh, those things that we are actually can quantify that we're in this realm of the brain. And the mind is not like that. I mean, the mind is your conscious perceptual reality that your brain is actually building for you. You know, most people think that they live in, in the now. I mean, we've heard it over and over many years, you know, you got to be in the now, got to be in the now, but our brains don't work at the speed of now. Therefore, our perception is not in the now either. So we do know how fast electrical impulses fire in the brain, and therefore we can build these interpretations or understandings of perceptions of speed and space and time and the delays that we have, you know, simply because the brain it has its limits, you know, as we understand, uh, our, our goal as researchers and, and guys like us is to understand how to help it be a better, uh, processor of sensory information. And, uh, but, you know, simply, simply put, you know, the brain is an organ, something you can quantify the mind. There is no there's no way to, to consciously or to scientifically quantify, you know, what one person's mind is, where is the seat of the soul, you know, per se. And it's just not been found yet. Yeah. There's no way to measure it, no way to study it. I mean, we've tried. Psychology tries to do it because I, I'm like you. I took all kind of psychology classes. I loved it, man, minored in it. But I didn't understand when I was in college that psychology uh, isn't true science. There's nothing to, you can't observe a thought. I mean, although 
they're trying right now. I mean, you can see these little electrons firing in the brain or electrodes firing in the brain that they mimic thoughts. Uh, but, you know, I'm just going to stick to the hard science for me. I'm going to produce something in front of that brain. We're going to have to go in through the eyes. I mean, I don't like going in through the body. I mean, there's two too much that can go wrong when you try to go in through a feedback system, you know, where the brain is trying to fine tune what it's feeling. You know, it's using more than one sense, you might say. Therefore, uh, I'm just simply trying to do the feed forward, which is affect the information before it touches the eye, you know, and that's, uh, that's a feed forward system. Right, and which makes so much so much sense. We're talking with Tim Nicely from VFlex Sports uh, as we set the stage for our upcoming series on brain and brain performance here on Crush Performance. Um, Tim, you know this is exactly what I'm talking about. You know, we're starting to get an understanding uh, and and even just maybe a, an overall acceptance of training, how we're training, uh, but then how the body and brain actually work together. I mean, it's a body brain relationship. There's no question about it. You know, I sometimes. I uh, sit down when I start working with an organization or even an athlete and when, when they're ready for the conversation, you know, we just talk about the, the ability to concentrate, staying on task, all these things that, that are, that are important for performance outcomes, but starting to understand that body brain relationship is, is really important. So, you know, I, I kind of tell a little story about, you know, when we really look at, at our bodies and our ability to perform in our environments, whether we go back, you know, a million years when we first started walking on two feet or whether we look to what's going to be happening in the future, the body is a tool that our brain uses to get things done. And the information getting to the brain will largely determine how we respond in terms of our physical actions. Does that resonate with you? Yes. It does. Keep talking. You're on the right track. Yeah. And so what we've been doing up until now, and I, again, this will be the question, I guess, right now, what we've been doing up until now is, you know, with all the types of training, the type of coaching strategies that we have, and people are getting onto this now. So it's a very, very exciting time for the world of sport and human performance because we're starting to talk about this. We're starting to think about this. But up until now, training and training uh, um, protocols have almost been backwards. We've almost been going at it the wrong direction because it's really maybe the only thing we understood. We've been sort of um, working backwards um, from from the uh, would would you say the perception side where we've been working at the uh, at the end um, um, and trying to react more than we are. Uh, where we're at now is we're looking at not just reacting. We're looking at influencing the information, getting better information coming in so we can react and respond better if that's not too convoluted <laughs> no i mean that's as about as good as you can do there you know uh simply because we're training the way we're training because for hundreds of years here we've trained according to what we've been able to see you know therefore we call it experience you know through personal experience i saw this i saw that i saw this and i saw this didn't work i saw this did work and you know and this makes logical sense in the visible world but uh it doesn't it doesn't make sense in the world we're actually in right now we have to break away from uh the mind 
a lot of the psychology that's out there today because you you think you can wheel yourself into these uh i don't know flow states i guess you might say jeff yep but you know when we're talking about changing the information that goes in through the eyes you know that's why my my devices sit in front of hitters sit in front of basketball players they sit in front of quarterbacks they sit in front of golfers so that when they look into space where your perceptions are going to come from that space has to be a high resolution space it has to be a high definition space if you want something to change because when we look into natural space right now, it's just simply a low-resolution entity in our brain because the brain is using the least amount of energy to do everything. Therefore, the images that it sees, the space that it's making for us to live in this three-dimensional world that we see or perceive, it's a low-resolution space. So if I want to enhance performance, if I want to take a guy that, that makes uh, – can only make 25 free throws in a row. You know, he can't find his, he can't break that habit in his brain. There's this neurotransmitter let down at 25 foul shots. Well, if I change what the, what that space looks like to him prior to that shot, then we should see an uptake, you know, in performance, we should see him gradually and continually, continually getting from 25 to 30 to 35 to 40 to 50. And you'll find his maximum peak there much faster than if you just try to do it naturally. But you have to be able to prompt that feed forward information and pump it into the brain for him because he can't do it mentally. You can't mentally alter space you can't mentally make a high resolution space in front of you right it has to be prompted with some type of device interesting and i love this uh concept this is a really good um definition as well a really good differentiator i guess between again two thought processes feed forward is what you're talking about and what we've been working on up till now for the large part of our our coaching strategies and development is the feedback system it's reactive it's post it's it's post feel 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 and feel some more yeah and keep feeling until you feel it man you got to feel you know what you're feeling don't you yeah well i mean when we talk in the the in the brain sense you know uh space that we're trying to manipulate neuroelectrically it has no learnable property you know space is such a low resolution thing that uh, it has no, you can't feel space. You know, it's kind of like trying to taste water. Water is colorless, odorless, and tasteless. It would do me no good to ask you, you know, what water tastes like because it doesn't have a tasteable property. And when you're talking about asking a kid to, you know, to see the strike zone or to visualize or to mentally make a, a rectangle in your mind or something, you're asking the impossible because it's not going to occur, but not because the mind can't do it. It's because space doesn't possess that property. You can't make it occur in the brain. It won't happen. You'll have a delusion or some type of hallucination of it, possibly, if you out there in that la-la land, but 
neurophysiologically, it ain't happening. You have to produce that image in front of the brain to make it do what you want it to do. Right. And that makes sense. And there are uh, strategies we can use to help our athletes achieve that. But let's get back to what we know about eyesight. I mean, you know, the general population, among the general population, the consensus is sort of like a 2020 vision is considered perfect. We know that that most of our Major League Baseball players, you know, the average for a Major League Baseball player is 20 over 12. And, you know, the, the limits for eye, what do you, you know, I guess for vision is is 20 over right. eight eyesight and so there's sort of a natural selection in, in in effect right there you know guys with better eyesight will probably have more success in the game of football or sorry the game of baseball and if you have more success in a, in a game you're you're probably going to gravitate to that if you don't have success you're going to go off and do some something else so so i mean that that's a pretty interesting concept what is the what is the vision side of this what's the role of that in this whole perception thing in, in your mind tim well, that's, you know, I mean, you hit a real good note right there simply because, you know, when we see the performance go up with our, with our system, you don't change a guy's 2020 vision to 2012 or to 2010. Uh, so where did the performance come from? Where did that increase come from? Uh, it didn't come from his eyes. It, it came from his brain, his brain, uh, pro- was being fed certain forms of information that don't exist in the natural electrical environment. And that's what we're trying to express to people is, Hey, you can get performance and you don't have to put a magnifying glass, uh, you know, in front of you to do it, but you do have to know how to handle the electromagnetic field that your brain is processing. And we just don't have that background in, in sports. You know, uh, I think the answers are going to come through physics more than they're going to come through anything. Uh, but on the vision side, you know, I see some of this uh, eye tracking uh, stuff now. You know, I saw and I reached out to Driveline Baseball this week. You know, uh, I was going to, we're going to look work on some questions, you know, because of the way they got their, uh, system set up to to track a hitter's eyes and where the gaze is and where the tracking uh, goes you know when you look at just the natural uh visual field you know you got 180 degrees of peripheral vision you see motion and color within that peripheral space and only about three percent of your total field uh, is your central vision. I mean, it's a tiny, tiny area that you're actually uh, processing. You know, uh, scientists have proven 98% of what goes in through the eyes never registers in the brain. You know, we overlook 98% of the information that's there. Uh, so, I mean, it's it's really a tricky uh Slippery slope, you might say, but when you look at all these tracking mechanisms, I think the tracker's already built into uh, the peripheral vision. There's 300 million more neurons in your periphery than in your central vision, so I just don't know that it's uh, something that has much value in tracking, to be honest with you. 
No, but and and that makes sense, Tim. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to dis I don't want to discard it uh, before I know uh, a whole lot more about it. That's why I reached out to them because I said, hey, this is a good learning opportunity for me because it's a a technology that that you know might teach me something. You know, because I'm going I'm not going to look at it the way they look at it. Right. I'm looking at it through a feed forward lens, and they're looking at it through a feedback lens. And there's no way we could come up with the same questions, same answers, or same uh, hypotheses, to be honest with you. Right. And that's how science moves forward, though. This collaboration could be really important. And some of the original um, um, eye tracking actually happened at University of Calgary by a scientist named Joan Vickers, who you might you might be familiar with, who sort of coined the phase, the quiet eye. And, then, and she started out with great, great questions as well. But that was really sort of the first time that we had data tracking data, what are athletes actually um, looking at? Like in terms of their vision, you know, when they're competing in sport and what she set out to do is um, what is the difference between our high performing athletes and an average performer or a below average performer? And there were some significant findings there that actually stirred on an entire industry in the, in the, um, I, well, in the vision uh, uh, performance world for sure, but also in the brain performance. So some interesting stuff. I can't wait to see what comes out of this, Tim. And one of the things that, that might be really interesting uh, for our listeners here as we sort of wrap this up here is, you know, our conversation, and this this might help people understand and, and bring it all together, um, is the great conversation we had on uh, Pete Caliendo's show uh, not too long ago on his um, YouTube channel where we were talking about the, the use and the implications of virtual reality in pushing human performance forward specifically in sport performance. But um, there's some interesting findings now that are saying, you know, this virtual reality thing isn't quite what people are hyping it up to be because the brain just doesn't operate in that kind of an environment. And that kind of sums up everything we're talking about here today in a way. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to see in that, in that arena, it's not easy to see, uh, where we are right now, you know, uh, as far as, uh, mental skills, coaches, and all the things that they're trying to, to do. It's the same, uh, to me, I mean, I point, because I'm looking at feed forward, you know, and when you're having this conversation with yourself, you're having a feedback conversation. You're, you're not enhancing performance to me. I mean, you're, quieting the mind you're doing some of those things you know to get yourself in an optimal mental position i suppose yeah but the brain is trying to do that the brain's programmed to do that without your help anyway you know it's it's running tons of programs there's 48 reflexes in the human body you know and it's just uh it knows how to function you know so it's the only self-aware organ that we have you right. know, but the thing back back to uh, the thing with driveline, you know, they're trying to find ways to enhance pitching machine usage. You know, and I've uh, I've got a patent on a new pitching machine adapter that I haven't shared with anybody uh, that provides feed forward information for the brain, but uh, I don't have a whole lot of data on how the brain is responding. I just take it from my foundational principle of this is what the brain is going to see. This is what the brain is going to process in the electrical world, 
Therefore, I should see it, you know, in performance, I know. But now, finding a way to track it correctly and not have some false positives or false negatives, you know, uh, it's going to be hard. You know, that's why I wanted to go ahead and jump in there with those guys and say, hey, now let's do a little collaboration on this and see if we can't find the truth, you know, in uh, what we're trying to accomplish. Yep. Onwards. Onwards. Well, well, you're working away there. We're working away on our side with our um, um, and biochemistry side of things, because that's another part that's really, really intrigued me, of course, with our KP sport uh, science and, and our key code fuels. Um, our focus, you know, fueling the body is, again, almost reactive in terms of the conversation we're having today. Uh, what we need to be focusing on, because the body totally focuses on the performance of the brain. Um, we're really working on our side to make sure that the, from the biochemical side, we're setting the brain up for success. So I can see a collaboration between uh, uh, our neural nutrition and VFlex coming up here really soon. And I would actually be really intrigued to see how much we influence or where our, our products and our science are able to influence uh, brain performance, especially on the feed forward um, platform that you're working on, Tim. Listen, I really, really appreciate your time today. This has been an unbelievable kickoff uh, primer for our brain series coming up, and I'll look forward to staying in close contact and and uh, relaying new data and research to our listeners as we move forward, Tim. Um, on a final note, a- anything else you'd like to say just to sort of sum it up for our listeners here? I uh, just... Uh... You know, uh, be careful, walk softly out there, you know, uh, and always try to learn, man. Don't, you know, it's like, uh, I might've mentioned on Pete's show, you know, two types of people, you know, out here that I've encountered. One is, uh, people that are too smart to learn and those that are too dumb to learn. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I, I'll just advise everybody. The brain is so complex, you know, uh, there are no experts. I mean, we're all just in the dark, you know, testing and forming hypotheses all the time and testing them and trying to understand them from an electrical side and not from our, the world we've actually been in, which is that feedback side. You know, you'll see the feedback. I mean, the body will give itself great feedback. You'll see performance go up if you get it right. If you get it wrong, you'll be right where you are. Right. Right. Excellent stuff. All and right. I appreciate the op- I, I appreciate the opportunity, Jeff. Man, I tell you what, I, there aren't a whole lot of people that will tackle the brain, you know, but uh, I'm really not afraid of it. I've been in it 20 years now. I've, I've read hundreds, if not thousands of research, and there aren't a handful in the whole world that are actually, uh, in my opinion, testing the brain correctly, testing the eyes correctly. They're uh, unaware of the depth of the electromagnetic field. And uh, we're just, uh, I mean, we've got a good starting point here, Jeff. And I want to, I want to keep this relationship going. I want to find the better questions and uh, just move forward, man. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it always comes, I always, something that always resonates in my mind when we start talking about science and discovery is um, a, a, a great note that I saw about Thomas Edison when he was working on the, on the light bulb. It was a reporter interviewing him when he finally broke through and the incandescent light bulb was, uh, was now available for everybody. 
um, the the reporter that he was interviewing him was trying to stir the pot a little bit and says, well, listen, man, you failed 10,000 times. You had 10,000 tries, man. What the heck? I mean, it doesn't seem like a lot of success. And Edison just calmly with unbelievable confidence and charisma simply said, no, no, no. When we look back at our work and everything that we did, we don't look back and say we failed 10,000 times. Says we discovered 10,000 ways not to do it. <laughs> so onwards, my good man. We're, we're uh, at the very yes, beginning Thank of that you. trip. I have a funny feeling here. <laughs> yes, we're, we're there, man. We sure are. We're, we're, at the, we're at the cusp of discovering uh, electricity in the brain. That's where we are, Jeff, you know, that's, uh, and therefore, you know, I tell people all the time, we're going to probably have 5,000 products come off of the intellectual property of VFlex simply because it is just a means to, uh, the end of where we're trying to get to. So it's pretty cool, man. Yep. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it is going to be a lot of fun with the implications well, well beyond sport. Tim, nicely. Thank you so much. Hey, stay safe out there, and we'll look forward to uh, talking again soon. Yep. Good luck, Jeff. Well, there you go, everybody. Tim Nicely of VFlex Sports. Go to vflexsports.com. Check out their stuff. They've got some really, really cool things cooking there. We love talking to Tim and getting his perspective on performance when it comes to training the brain and where we're at and truly tapping in to that sort of next level. I think he's right on the same page. It's one of the reasons... I'm so intrigued by everything they're doing and everything Tim says. We really, really uh, get along quite well when it comes to this this you know adventure we're on, trying to better understand how the brain really works. But you, we have to. Everybody's got one, but we really don't understand it. And for the most part, we're coming at it from the wrong direction. Coming up in our brain series here through August and into September, we're going to be looking at the psychology side. We're going to talk about brain training and getting that sensory input in there and what actually happens. And then how does that turn into actual reactions? Because every time you move or take a corner or take a step, you're ultimately reacting to your environment or to your perception of that environment. And one of the things we didn't get into today, and we'll touch on this a little bit more in our brain series for sure, um, was the conversation with Tim when we started talking about virtual reality. Now, virtual reality is cool. It is fun. It's fantastic. But I don't think it's going to be the great training tool that it's being made out to be. Science, recent science, has shown us that in a virtual world, in a virtual reality setting, 60% of the spatial mapping neurons in our brain shut right off. Our brain can't relate to this virtual world that we get put in, in these virtual simulators. And I think it's going to be, if it ever happens, it's going to be a long, long time before we actually figure out the technology to make it work like a real environment or to get to the point where we can train our brain to really, really make sense of those virtual worlds because it doesn't. It's fascinating stuff. We'll talk more about that for sure. But the brain such an incredible organism, probably the most complex organism in this known universe, without question. And I love the distinction that Tim had between the mind and the brain. The brain's the organism. A mechanism, so to speak, for governing motor activity and how we move in our environments and react to our environments. 
It takes the sensory patterns from all of our senses, coordinates it together so we can survive in our environments. And that's why, you know, some of the training that is going on right now is pretty smart. When we look at the types of training, which we will get into as well, you know, the dynamic system theory, you know, in the world of movement rehab, it's a way to explain how motor learning is optimized and getting that understanding is really important if we're going to really tap into human performance. We need to understand how to influence the mind and get the right information or have the brain cipher through and use the information, the best information to get the outcomes we want. Variable training is another spinoff of all of this. Variable training is changing the environment to get an outcome that you're in. And when you increase the experiences the brain has, it just kind of makes sense or that you have as a person, it makes sense that you become more robust. You have a better understanding of how things operate. Now there's a limit there. You can go so far away from the task at hand that it doesn't apply anymore. So when you're talking about variable training, you have to make sure that whatever it is you're doing to influence the outcomes or the reaction of your subjects has meaning with the task you really want to get at. Take hitting a baseball, for example. How is it possible that Major League Baseball's best hitters can't hit Jenny Finch? Right? Jenny Finch, whew, trust me. Uh, and and rightfully so, maybe the best fastball, female fastball pitcher in the history of the game. But when ESPN matched her up against Major League Baseball's top hitters, they struck out, fouled off, struck out again. Some of the guys didn't even want to face her because they were a little embarrassed. But what an incredible experiment that was. You know, train those guys to hit fastball, underhand fastball pitching, they're probably going to be really, really good. Take the best fastball hitters, put them against major league pitching, probably no chance, little to no chance. It's different enough that the body can't react. It's not trained, right? So there's something to be said there. We have a long way to go, as Tim said. And then, you know, when we just talk about it, and Tim, you know, his last comment there, just about the constraints and how the body organizes it itself around the constraints that surround it. That is a training theory, training environments that actually force the outcomes that you're desired to. Because talking only goes so far. Coaches need to talk less, strategize more, but create environments where learning happens. Oh boy, oh boy. It's a fascinating time in human performance. And this is a great kickoff to what's going to be our uh, two, three, maybe four part series on brain and brain performance coming up here late summer and into the fall. The brain, 100 billion neurons. It makes up 1 50th of the human body, averaging one and a half kilograms, right around three pounds. It is connected with one third of all named diseases. One third of all named diseases are brain-based. And it is the number one top energy user in the body. It is a hog. It's an energy hog. There's so much going on. And it has to be the right kind of energy, which is not happening out there, by the way. Look at the research on Alzheimer's and dementia, brain diseases, all connected now with high sugar, high carbohydrate, high glycemic diets. We're going to get to that in the series as well. We've got to protect our brains 
but we got to make sure in terms of performance, it's getting the right energy. So while all this great training research is going on with Tim and all the other groups out there, you know, our group at KP Sport Neuro Nutrition, well, we're still focusing on that. We're looking at, at the proper ways to feed the brain, the right energy for the brain. And what we've learned, oh, ladies and gentlemen, get ready to go because um, there's some very interesting, you can go to KP Sport. Our first drink that we've launched is for baseball. And it is a massive cognitive advantage for every player that uses it. It's not one of those, it's not like caffeine where you get a buzz, a central nervous system buzz, but it just feeds your body and your brain the right way. Exciting times. And now when those two worlds collide, which they're about to, you can hear it in this conversation today, we're going to be going places. All right. Well, hey, listen, we got to wrap it up for today. What a fantastic, fantastic uh, way to kick off August here. Got to thank Al Mitchell for joining us. Low Tide, talking a little sports as pro sports returns. Thank goodness. And we, of course, have to thank Tim Nicely for uh, sharing all his great information and his his perspective of where we're at in terms of brain training there's a there's a there's a change coming and he's one of the leaders for sure so we got to thank tim for all that and listen i got to thank you guys for listening once again spread the word listen the reason we do crush performance is just to get people thinking conversations just like this and so spread it to your friends your family your teammates your workmates your businesses this goes well well beyond sport this is military performance, our first responders. This is academics, music, school, Broadway. This is acting. Anywhere there's humans looking to get better and perform, these conversations are relevant. So such fun stuff. All right, everybody, get out there, stay safe, get better, and we'll talk to you next week right here on Crush Performance. This is a Landry Football Quick Fix on Radio Influence. My hope is as I look at the baseball environment and I see, again, a sport without a bubble, but a heavy dose of testing, that is a combination that's going to only increase your chances of getting more positive tests. And what will you do when that happens? Put them in quarantine, put them on a COVID list, which you can go on a COVID list now if you're just exposed to it. Well, if you can't practice, you can't play in a, in a smaller roster, I, I don't know how you, you get through a season if you're going to be that aggressive with your testing, yet you're not going to be in a bubble. I felt since March that the NFL would go to a bubble environment. They have not. Don't does not appear that they – have any plans to do that? I'm guessing everything is possible. But at this point, that's not the plan. That's not where they're going. Um, so I am concerned. I'm concerned about it. In, in essence, if they're not going to be as aggressive with testing in college football, there may be people that have it that are asymptomatic that won't ever be caught because the testing is not as frequent. But if the testing is frequent, and you're without a bubble, I, I think that leads for a very, very difficult combination. The Landry Football Podcast with veteran scout and coach Chris Landry can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com. <laughs>